All right, we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, first, let me introduce myself in case we haven't met before. My name is Taylor Hall. I serve here as one of the pastors, specifically as the pastor for faith formation. Um, I've been here for approaching four years now. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, in so many ways, it feels like the time has flown by. And for other reasons, it feels like we've been through a lot together, which is also true. Um, but before we begin on this series, uh, I would like to invite us all to uh, say a word of prayer together. So friends, please join me in the spirit. A holy and gracious God, the giver of life and love to all, we ask that you bless this time that we have together. May we grow in love for you and love for our neighbors through these conversations. May we learn how to be better allies and friends to the LGBTQ plus community. And may we affirm your call for us to love in all that we do. It is in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as I said, this is going to be a three-week series. Um, and I do have a PowerPoint presentation, but I'm going to tell you right now, the PowerPoint presentation is just another way uh, for you to see the information. Most of the information I'll be reading across but I know that some people might have hard of hearing, so the PowerPoint is also for those uh, who prefer to read. So if you can't see the PowerPoint the best, listen, and if you can't hear me the best, look at the PowerPoint. So again, it's just, we have both options. With this three-week series, I want to be very clear to everyone here that this is not um, a debate necessarily in this uh, conference or in this series. This is not a discussion on should we be affirming? We're past that. We are an affirming church. Um, and yes, and we give thanks for that as well. So the conversations that we're having today is knowing that we are deeply rooted in our love for the LGBTQ community. And for us, it's a way for us to learn more about some of the passages that are found in scripture, uh, passages that might be portrayed in a negative light regarding the LGBTQ community, as well as passages that are seen in the positive light, uh, especially passages of love. And again, it's not a discussion of whether we are affirming. It's rather, uh, it's a continual celebration that we as a church are fully affirming, and we want to be allies and friends to the LGBTQ plus community. So as I said, we are going to be talking about um, this series over three weeks starting today. Um, and the very first thing that we're going to start with today is why does this matter? Why, even though we are affirming today, why do we still need to have conversations about the LGBTQ community, especially within church communities? And we're also going to talk a little bit about what do we believe about the Bible? Because next week for our series, we're going to explore many of the passages uh, in the Bible that have really unfortunately led to a lot of the... Um, uh, discrimination against the LGBTQ community. So next week is going to be kind of a rough class because we're going to really dive into the passages that we kind of have understood. This is why the church for so long has been non-affirming to the LGBTQ community. On the very third week of the class, we're going to look at our own denomination history as well as our tradition, as well as uh, some helpful hints of today of how we can be a better church community to the LGBTQ plus community, and what it looks like to be allies of today. Now again, you're going to hear me say over and over the LGBTQ plus community, 
Um, and I'm sure there might already be some people in this room saying, what does that acronym mean? Um, especially because there's a lot of terms that are found within the LGBTQ community that not all of us may be fully understood or even some terms that have changed over time. So the very first thing we're going to start with is basic 101. We're going to do a glossary of terms um, that we're going to cover over the next couple of weeks. So these are in no particular order, but they're all relating to this series. And again, it's just to help us to make sure that we're all on the same page on um, what we're talking about. So some of the very first ones is the word sex. When we talk about sex here, it is the anatomical makeup of a person's reproductive system. So this is... Um, just to be very direct, males have penises, uh, females have ovaries, etc. So sex is the biological and anatomical uh, uh, reference to one's body. But gender is different. Um, and gender is the cultural, so social, and behavioral norms assigned to persons of a particular sex. And so when we talk about gender, we're not talking about any sex that was assigned at birth. We're talking about gender and what people identify as today, how they uh, are, how they identify, and how we should uh, respond to them with how they identify. You all know the term heterosexuality for the most part. It's for anyone who um, is within a, a same or different gender. Um, sorry, heterosexuality is a generic term referring to all forms of same sex. No, I got that wrong. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> You all know what heterosexuality is. It's different gender uh, attraction. Uh, so already have that wrong. Don't look at that one. The next one, sorry. The next one, though, is homosexuality. Now, this is a generic term that has been used for all forms of same-sex and same-gender relations. Um, however, it is very important to know that this term is actually being, it's being dated. Um, not so many people respond well to this because it was always used as a scientific term to identify a group of people. And it doesn't fully encapsulate the entire LGBTQ plus community. So while you will hear many times homosexual or homosexuality, yes, that is fine, but might know that it's also not always the most well received. Now there's going to be a word just like that that a lot of you might say, well, that word is derogatory that actually has now been reclaimed. So again, We'll get to that in just a moment. So just keep that in mind. Homosexuality, it's more of a scientific term rather than an inclusive term. Uh, sexual orientation, uh, this is referring to one's orientation in which they are attracted to. Um, so again, we'll talk about orientation a lot. You've already heard the acronym, but I have the full acronym now, which is LGBTQIA. And the shorthand for this, the acronym stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, intersex, and asexual. And of course, there is the plus on it, which means that this community is growing. Uh, there are many ways to identify people who fall within the LGBTQ plus community. And so it, the acronym continues to grow. For my own, uh, uh, when I talk about LGBTQ, I always just use LGBTQ plus, because for me, it rolls off the tongue. Um, but again, that plus is so important because it means there is so much more than what we have initially perceived. It's not just homosexual, it is LGBTQIA+. Uh, this community really does capture so many people. And again, a lot of it refers to what is outside of the traditional norm of heterosexuality or cisgender. 
Um, you will know gay, which is men who are attracted, uh, exclusively attracted to other men. Lesbians are women who are exclusively attracted to other women. Bisexual refers to people who are attracted to both men and women, regardless of their own gender. But next is asexual, which refers to people who do not experience any type of sexual feelings or attraction. Um, there's also transgender, which refers to persons whose gender identity does not correspond with their biological sex. So again, when we said sex is the gender that they were assigned at birth, well, gender is what they identify. So transgender is someone who does not identify their gender as what they were assigned to um, at birth. Intersex uh, is people who have been born with both uh, male and female sex organs. And then queer, this is that word I was telling you about. Many of us understand queer as a derogatory term, but it's not. But this is a term that has been reclaimed by the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and it's actually more of, for many people, it's an umbrella term. Uh, those who lie with outside of the traditional orientation or gender categories. So queer is a really good umbrella term there. The last one is gender identity, which is an individual's sense of being male, female, or something else. Since gender identity is eternal, or yes, um, since gender identity is eternal, one's gender identity is not necessarily something visible to others. Um, and again, if you might notice that if you've ever received an email from any of the pastors, we let you know our gender because it's all internal. It's not how you're perceived. So again, myself, Pastor Carter and Pastor Catherine all have our pronouns or the genders that we identify. And again, because it's all internal. And it's one small move of allyship to the entire transgender community or non-binary community. And then the very last one is gender expression or how people um, express their gender. And so this is their appearance, their voice, uh, their body characteristics, anything in which they might portray their gender outwardly. Any questions so far just on the terms alone? All right, then we're good. We're going to keep moving. Oh, sorry. What do you go back? The one that isn't male or is it? Can you go back one? Yes. Okay, she used that today. I was watching, um, is it Good Morning, Sunday morning? And the one she was, when she asked what her sex is, she puts intersex down so, on something. She'll put that down, then she puts the check mark. So again, and and I, so intersex again, and I know that many of you might have heard other terms for this, um, but the, the accepted, um, embraced term is intersex. And again, this is people who have biologically at birth been born with both male and female sex organs. Um, and again, this is a little bit different than another category, which is called non-binary, which is a gender expression um, but intersex is a sex. Um, it is not just male, not just female. It is you have you were born with both male and female sex organs, and so some people may identify as male even though they were born intersex, or opposite, they could identify as female even though they were born intersex or non-binary. And so again, it's the popular embraced term of today of those who were actually at birth born with both male and female sex organs. Pastor Taylor, there. Um, Civic Theater had a documentary. I'm not sure if it's still there, but I, I know it was either there or it's coming all about intersex. So if that's, you know, a topic that's curious to anyone, um, Theater 514, the smaller one, is going to be previewing that. Okay. Hmm. Any other questions on the terms? Okay. <clears throat> So, 
why do we need to be talking about this? Why is it important? And why do Christians care about sexuality in the first place? And perhaps it might be because there are verses like this found in the Bible, which is, from the book of Leviticus, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. So throughout history, Christians have interpreted this, among a few other passages, as ways in which they can discriminate, because it's biblical. It's found in the Bible. In fact, in this passage, it's considered an abomination. Uh, but we're going to be talking about that, and especially why uh, that's not really the case. If you truly understand a biblical authority, uh, it's not just taking something at one verse out of the Bible and saying, this is what we believe. Um, especially as Protestants, we don't, uh, Carter did an excellent sermon two Sundays ago that talked all about what we actually believe of, about the Bible, and just taking a verse like this out of context is not how we as Protestants understand the living and breathing word of God today. So again, throughout history, the church, especially the Christian church, has often discriminated against the LGBTQ plus community because of verses like this. But the other reason why it is still a conversation that we need to be happening today is because we are talking about our neighbors. These are the people that we love. Um, and my sermon today is on the greatest commandment, and it talks over and over about the love of God and love for your neighbor. And the course is that you will know someone who is LGBTQ+. Well, you're looking at him. Uh, but, so there's one. Uh, but our church has plenty of people. Our families have LGBTQ plus members. Our friends are LGBTQ plus. I guarantee every single person in this room knows at least one other person besides me who is LGBTQ plus. So when we talk about it, what is our role as Christians? We're talking about the very people that we know and the people that we are called to love. Now, when we actually look at statistics, it does say right now, this is from Pew Research, uh, their latest study, which was conducted this year, is that about 7% of the U.S. population identifies as LGBTQ+, or roughly 24 million people in the United States alone. Now, next to it is you'll see that there is a graph, and this graph actually tells um, of what countries feel that they are in favor of the LGBTQ plus community. You'll see at the top is Canada is very high up there. The United States is pretty, for the most part, up there as well. We'll have some other European countries like Sweden, the Netherlands, uh, Spain, and France who are all very much affirming to the LGBTQ plus community. But again, as disciples of Christ, we don't just focus on our own country. We are actually called to serve the entire world, all of God's kingdom. And as you continue down that list, you will see that there are many countries that are still strongly against the LGBTQ plus community. And once again, why does it matter? Because as disciples of Christ, we are called to love and to share God's love, even with our neighbors overseas. So just because our country, for the most part at this point, is an affirming country to the LGBTQ plus community, there are countries in which are totally against it, including several countries in which being LGBTQ plus is punishable by death. Uh, so again, this is very relevant. When we talk about um, youth, LGBTQ plus youth, which you know this is a huge passion of mine, I love each and every one of our youth very dearly, um, LGBTQ plus youth are more susceptible to violence, uh, to um, assault, to sexual violence, to social and family rejection, 
homelessness, depression, self-hatred, and suicide. So again, when we think about how do we share God's love with young people, how do we share God's love specifically with LGBTQ youth, knowing that they are far more susceptible to all of these things? And there are several uh, statistics about that. So the very first is being that a study of adolescents grades at 7 through 12 found that lesbian, gay, and bisexual youth were more than twice as likely to have attempted suicide than their heterosexual peers. Now, more studies are needed to understand the risk of suicide among transgender youth. However, one study with 55 transgender youth found about that 25%, or about one-fourth of a transgender youth, has attempted suicide at some point in their life. I mean, that same thing is, in the U.S., there are 1.6 million youth who have experienced homelessness each year, and 40% of those youth are LGBTQ+. So again, the statistics specifically looking at LGBTQ youth is they are twice as more likely to commit or attempt suicide. One in four transgender youth have attempted suicide, as well as 40% of homeless youth um, are identified as LGBTQ+. So, and again, compare that to 7% of the population is LGBTQ+, but 40% of the homelessness population is LGBTQ. Uh, so again, that, that rate has dramatically gone up. But we have a few other um, facts here. One of them got cut off, but LGBTQ youth are twice as likely as their peers to say that they have been physically assaulted, kicked, or shoved at school. Uh, four in 10 LGBTQ youth say that the community in which they live is not accepting of the LGBTQ community. For some, this includes their homes, their parents, their families. This includes their schools. Um, this also includes, of course, their churches. Um, and then the very last one is 26% of LGBTQ youth say their biggest problems are not feeling accepted by their family, trouble at school slash bullying, and a fear of being out and open. Um, and that 22% of non-LGBTQ youth say their biggest problems in school are trouble with class exams and grades. So there's already a different focus among uh, straight and cisgender youth and LGBTQ youth. Uh, their struggles are completely different. And once again, this is why it matters to us. Now, there's a book called Unchristian, and I do recommend it if um, any of you like to read. Um, there's another book um, that I'm not referencing in this series, uh, but dives a little bit more into uh, what does the Bible uh, believe, or what does Christianity perceive to believe about the LGBTQ plus community. That book is called On Clobber. But the book that I'm going to be referencing real quick is called Unchristian. And again, I highly recommend this book. There are two quotes that I want to uh, mention from that book because it relates to how the LGBTQ community perceives the church. And actually, not just the LGBTQ community, uh, but how those who are not churched, how they believe about the church. So the very first is, when asked to describe the church, a survey conducted by the Barna Research Group found, anti, found anti-homosexual to be among the most frequent responses. Also topping that list were judgmental, hypocritical, and sheltered. So again, this is a study saying, what do you perceive about the Christian church? Not going into the Protestant, Evangelical, or Catholic church, just the Christian church. Among the top things that those who are not church said about the Christian church is anti-homosexual, judgmental, hypocritical, and sheltered. Which is not us. 
Um, but again, that is the perception that they have of the Christian church. Um, the other thing is throughout history, Christians are primarily perceived for what they stand against. We have become famous for what we oppose rather than who we are for. Who are we for? God, Jesus, the Spirit. But it is perceived that the Christian church is known for every community that they are against, or every person or act that they oppose. Once again, this is not who we want to be. This is not who we are called to be. Uh, looking at the LGBTQ community, how they uh, feel about the church, um, not just Christian churches, about, but other religions, um, the perception is, of course, the top being is that LGBTQ people perceive the Muslim faith as being the most um, unfriendly to the LGBTQ community, seconded by the Mormon church. Uh, next is the Catholic church, uh, followed by evangelical churches. Uh, the Jewish faith is a little bit more affirming. Um, and then the very last is non-evangelical Protestant churches, which includes us. We're a non-evangelical Protestant church. However, you will see that each of these is on the unfriendly side. So again, this is the perception of LGBTQ. How do you feel about religions and how friendly they are to you? All of these religions are considered unfriendly. Uh, from an LGBTQ individual, most of them I said that the, the religion is unfriendly to them. Again, the top being uh, Muslims and the bottom being non-evangelical Protestant churches. But there is still an obvious concern is that the LGBTQ community even perceives churches like ours as being unfriendly to the community. And the same thing is uh, uh, there's some facts about how the LGBTQ community uh, feels about the church. What's interesting is over the last couple of years, uh, one of the things that we've been really wrestling with through Lombard as well as just kind of in our state of transition is whether the church is meant to be political. And at times we have said, uh, no, it shouldn't be political at all. What's really interesting is the LGBTQ community has also said that the church is too political, uh, but in the opposite direction. Um, and so uh, they have said that if you look that uh, the darkest blue is gay, lesbian, bisexual, who are falling in the middle, is that you'll see that uh, they believe that the church focuses too much on rules, that they're too concerned with money and power, and that they're too involved with politics. And then the opposite um, is what LGBTQ communities feel that uh, the churches do, is that less they feel that the church is less likely to protect and strengthen morality, that they are less likely to bring people together, and that they have a less important role of helping people, especially the poor and needy. So again, the reason why this is so important is because there is this huge gap between the LGBTQ plus community as well as the Christian community, is that there is an understanding that we're not meeting in the middle here, but rather we have seen the churches, again, hypocritical, judgmental, um, discriminatory, that it's too concerned on money and politics and power and not enough around morals and helping those in need and things like that. And again, when I think of First Presbyterian Church, that's not who we are, um, except for the perception is still there, and that's why it's very important. Yes? How do they perceive you as a, as a gay pastor? How do you <coughs> So, I thank you for the question. I will tell you that at times, 
Did everybody hear her question? Yeah, okay. so her question was, how do people perceive me as a gay pastor? So I'll tell you first a funny story, um, is that a few months ago now, my mom's coworker asked her, how does your pastor son feel about your gay son? <laughs> <laughs> so, and again, it was, it was actually, I mean, a lighthearted, genuine question of really this perception of, well, your, your pastor son must not be affirming to your gay son, let alone that I am, in fact, both her pastor son. <laughs> uh, but the other thing, the other thing that, just to be fully honest, is that because of this really wide gap between the LGBTQ community as well as the Christian community, I feel like many people who are LGBTQ Christians, uh, not just myself as a pastor, but many LGBTQ Christians, feel like at times they're caught in between the two communities. And I will even be honest and say it's very isolating at times. It's a little bit lonely uh, knowing that you're not fully affirmed by the Christian community, you're not fully affirmed by the LGBTQ community, but instead you're the one who is walking down the middle. Um, which is why I'm so passionate about bridging that gap between the two, because I don't think that any of us want to feel isolated in the middle. And again, I can only speak to my experience, and I'm just one person, uh, but that I feel is true for many LGBTQ Christians, is that at times they feel like they are trapped in between both communities. They are fully part, at the same time they're not part of either. Um, and so it is a little bit different, um, if that makes sense. Any other questions that we have? I feel like this is actually a really good point just to ask some questions now that we've gone over a whole bunch of statistics. I also know that there are a few more chairs behind Bill and Christina, if any of you would like chairs. I'm very thankful for this turnout. Um, it's more than they anticipated, obviously. So again, thank you. Um, so the common perception of the church, first, is that if we are unfriendly to people who are LGBTQ, Given the statistics that we just went over, um, does that mean we are seen as being unfriendly to the vulnerable, the despised and the rejected? And again, I want to think about it in terms of First, First Presbyterian Church of Allentown. Any of those statistics that we just went through, are any of you comfortable thinking that's how people think of our church? Is that we're hypocritical, that we're judgmental, that we're anti-homosexual? That is not who we want to be. That is not who we strive to be. Um, but the but at the same time, is there truth in this perception? And I'll tell you first, if we think about Lehigh Valley, there are still more non-affirming Christian churches than there are affirming churches. In fact, several of the bigger churches in this area are non-affirming, uh, especially to LGBTQ, but not just LGBTQ, uh, but also to women in leadership. Uh, so again, uh, is this really a, a, a misconceived perception, or is there a reason why LGBTQ people believe that the church is so hypocritical when most Christian churches still today are still non-affirming to the LGBTQ community? But at the same time, when we think about the LGBTQ community within our own church structure, we have to make sure that we're looking at our own official church policies, unwritten <coughs> rules and biases, and even our wording. For example, so although this church has done same-gender uh, weddings already, did you know that our forms were just finally updated this year so they no longer said bride and groom? Um, so again, we are affirming to the LGBTQ plus community, but when we hand them a paper that says you wish to get married here, it says bride and groom. We did change that, by the way. 
The second thing is throughout the entire church building, there is no transgender or non-binary bathrooms. Um, in fact, I mean, yes, we would welcome people to use the, the bathroom of their gender that they would feel most comfortable in. But I don't know if everyone here would feel comfortable with that same thing. Um, and so when we think about it, is our facilities fully inclusive? The other thing, and this is more focusing on non-binary, this is people who identify outside of the gender binary of male or female or man or woman, is when we use terms like brothers and sisters, we feel so inclusive when we say brothers and sisters, but we're instantly leaving out those who identify outside of a brother or sister category, <coughs> those who are non-binary, which is why you might hear me always call you as friends or neighbors or siblings in Christ, because that really does say everybody and not just male or female. Um, <coughs> Um, I also wanted to say that um, earlier when we talked about that Leviticus passage, and we're going to go a little bit more into this, um, is that because we know that the LGBTQ community has been historically mistreated by the church, and that even today that most Christian churches are still not affirming, um, and that there are even some of our own uh, policies and practices here at First Presbyterian Church, is that as Christians, as disciples of Christ, whose command by God, by Jesus is to love God and to love our neighbor, knowing that the LGBTQ community is still mistreated, it means that our responsibility as disciples is to make sure that LGBTQ Christians feel fully affirmed, welcomed, and loved. Um, we don't get to ignore it. Uh, just because we don't understand it doesn't mean that we get to ignore it and say, that's not our concern. If you are a disciple of Christ, which all of you are, it says over and over throughout the Gospels, as commands from Jesus, we are called to serve the marginalized, those who've been pushed to the edges of society, and that includes today the LGBTQ plus community. Now, of course, that also means that at times you might question, well, I don't fully know if I understand it. And I know that many of you grew up thinking that sexual orientation was first a choice, um, and that also that... Um, you might have heard even worse messages that it wasn't just a choice, but that was a sin or an abomination, um, that they might have been compared to things like pedophiles or bestiality or anything like that. Um, so you might still have some of your own biases that were ingrained of you over decades of being taught that, especially being taught that in the church. But when we think about the gospel, when we think about Jesus's commands to love God and to love neighbor, the very first thing that we have to do is let go of any questions of sexual morality and remember uh, that they are fully part of God's kingdom and that they are part of God's beloved. Um, so again, even if you haven't totally reconciled it within you of these messages that have been ingrained in you over decades, that's okay. Um, but the very first thing you're supposed to do is if you truly follow the gospel of Christ, you have to let go of all questions of your own sexual morality about others and rather see them as the beloved children of God that they are. And so for followers of Jesus, questions of morality of a person or a group must always fall second to their basic human dignity. So again, if you truly love your neighbor, that will always come first. And then second is where you wrestle with your own perception or things that you've been taught over time. So I can't help but say that, of course, the plight of our LGBTQ neighbors is our plight. Um, that whether you are straight or cisgender, whether you are part of the LGBTQ community, it is our 
Christian responsibility, our Christian calling to make sure that we care for our LGBTQ plus neighbors um, and that we must defend basic human dignity even if we find them as strangers. And I'm using the word stranger here as saying that even if we don't identify it as ourselves, um, whether we don't fully understand it for ourselves, um, this is also found in scripture. We are called to welcome the stranger. And so here we are called to welcome the LGBTQ plus community and treat them as ones who belong. This also comes from the book of Leviticus. Um, so, and actually in the same chapters, it's 18 through 20 are the morality laws. Um, and we're going to be talking about that in the next section. But in that same section of morality laws, the one that says a man shall not lie with another man as he does with a woman, has the same passage of saying we are called to welcome the stranger. So why might the... Oh, sorry, go ahead, Chris. I was just thinking, when you look through scripture, you never see Jesus saying negative things about it. And we're going to talk about that. Just a second. And before we go on to that, are there any questions? Um, we'll take another small break to answer questions. Um, and then at the way end, um, I'll open it up uh, for questions. And I have about just a five more minutes, and then we'll do some more questions. I just have a, a question about they and them. I don't understand how to use that when I finally find out somebody was transgender. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, it just doesn't roll off the tongue since she or he, it, like it does with he or she. Uh, and why they? It's plural. So they, again, it's up to each individual person on what they also use for their pronoun. A commonly used one is they, them, but for people who identify outside of the gender binary or those who identify as non-binary. Um, the reason why a lot of them use they, them is because it is a common pronoun in the English language. Um, and it does encapsulate that it's not just he or she, but rather it's, for some, it's, it's identifying as more than one gender for others, it's identifying outside of the two biological sexes that were born. So they use something that is common to us. Now go ahead and raise your hand if you taught if you were taught in English language that you never refer to an individual as they or them. So was I. I mean, I was in high school. That number is actually growing. I was in high school 15 years ago. Uh, I remember what I could say. I was in high school five years ago, but now it's 15. Uh, I was in high school 15 years ago, and of course that was in ninth grade English, is that you never use a plural pronoun for an individual. The truth is, throw that out the window now. I mean, again, it's something that we have to unlearn. It's the same biases that we've learned. But again, it's about honoring that person. If they are telling you that they identify outside of he or she, which is a, an individual singular pronoun, they identify as they, um, uh, honor it by using it. Now, of course, there is an adjustment with this. You'll hear that some people prefer to say, like, well, he is going to church. They might say they is going to church, and others might actually prefer they are going to church. Still talking about an individual here. I get that it is confusing. Here's the positive thing. Grace abounds. Um, and it's not just within the Christian church, but also within the LGBTQ plus community. If you honor someone by using their gender pronoun or being very intentional about it, mistakes will happen. But if you show them that you are trying, they will respond with grace. Um, maybe not always. There will always be some exceptions, just like there are exceptions of Christians where grace doesn't abound. But I promise if you are actively trying to honor that person, 
they'll they'll hear your intention. They'll hear that it's done with love. So again, yes, there are some things that we have to unlearn and relearn. It's totally normal for all of us, including my generation. Um, but if the intention behind it is to honor a person with love, um, that is what truly matters. So again, let go of anything that you've learned, um, but rather use it as an opportunity to relearn, especially focusing on someone who needs to be loved. Jen. Yeah, I just wanted, one of my children is non-binary, and that was, it was really hard for me to learn, and it's still hard, because my child still presents as their birth sex, but they want to be referred to with they, them. And the truth is, we do use they, them as a singular. You see a store associate, and you see them from the back, and you don't know their gender, and you say, they are going to put that product on the shelf. We, we do that all the time, and yet... It is hard to learn it, but it's not something that's new to use it as a singular. Any other questions? Okay, yeah. we have just Can I say, Yeah. Okay, so my my daughter is like a transgender. Yeah, I even get mixed up. Uh, went from a male to a female. So um, I. I say um, her, but why sometimes he will come out of my mouth. And I never met her as he, but it still comes out of my mouth. So again, that's true. So you've heard from two people who gave the examples as parents. Mistakes happen. Um, and even I mean, my parents, when I came out to them as gay, there was a few slip-ups after. Like, you know, the one day you'll have a what? Husband, uh, <laughs> mistakes happen, but it's the intention behind it. And again, grace abounds. That is true for all of us. Um, all right, we have just a little bit of time left. So Chris briefly touched upon this, that the Gospels never mention um, any type of LGBTQ or, or homosexuality, which is true. Uh, but the Bible uh, speaks, quote-unquote, directly five times um, about homoerotic acts. So this is a man lying with another man. Um, or something like that. And that's what we're going to be exploring in the next class. That is found in Genesis 19, Leviticus 18 through 20, uh, Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6, and 1 Timothy 1. There are other times, um, three other times, in which um, it's not specifically mentioned, but almost like the opposite is uh, instead lifted up. So, for example, Genesis 1 through 3 is the creation story, which you hear about the creation of man and woman and that they must be fruitful and multiply. And so they have often used that against the LGBTQ community, saying, well, you must be fruitful and multiply. Just real quick on that, that also means that if you actually took that literally of being fruitful and multiply, that means that anybody who is single is single or is sinful. Anybody who is um, uh, not able to have children is sinful. That means obviously the LGBTQ community is sinful. Uh, so again, it's not anything should never be taken at face value in the Bible. We know that. Um, but again, there are some texts in the Bible that uh, people have often used. It's Genesis 1 through 3, Isaiah 56, and then Matthew 19. So eight times. There are 66 books in the Bible um, that were written over uh, centuries. And it is only mentioned eight times. And that's what we're going to be exploring next week. But what is most important, especially because we believe that Jesus is the head of the church, who gives us the greatest commandments, not once did Jesus ever mention anything about the LGBTQ community or even homosexuality. 
there is one reference in which he heals a eunuch, and eunuchs um, and biblical times were also considered outside of the gender binary. Eunuchs were not considered male or female either. Um, and actually, Jesus, there is a miracle in which Jesus heals a eunuch. Um, so we will also be talking about that. But again, Jesus specifically never says um, throughout the Gospels of anything about the LGBTQ community. Um, I am going to skip over this, but this goes a little bit into theology. Um, but I am going to tell you what the Bible does say uh, throughout all of Scripture. Um, and this is the thing that we as Christians, we do follow. Uh, so the very first one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. This is first found in Deuteronomy. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. This is found in Leviticus 19. Again, this is the same morality laws uh, in which Leviticus said, a man should not lie. Once again, Leviticus lifts up, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In the Gospel of Matthew, which I'm preaching on today, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Continuing on in the Gospel of Mark, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. In the Gospel of Luke, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and with, all, with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. Continuing in the Gospel of John, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. In the letter to the Romans, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. In the book of Galatians, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And in the book, uh, letter, letter from James, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing it right. Um, so really, the summation of the Christian faith um, throughout all of scripture in both Old and New Testament that you will hear over and over when you think, what is the core message of the Bible? It is this, to love God and to love people. Um, and I'm going to stop there. We'll finish um, next time. Uh, but any questions that we might have so far with everything that we've covered? Rich. You know how the theology you just skipped over? <laughs> yeah. Can you sum that up? Like, what, what is the thing you missed that? <laughs> Could we maybe at some point get a printout of the slides? Absolutely. So here's what I was going to tell you. Um, so this actually goes into John Calvin, who we like, because uh, John Calvin was kind of the founding father of the Reformed and Presbyterian faith. Uh, Calvin has a doctrine called accommodation, uh, which means that uh, scripture was written uh, to help people relate to God by speaking in their terms and in their culture. 
um, and that if you truly lift up theology as the or the Bible as the living and breathing word of God, is that you can't just take it at face value. You actually have to understand that God was trying to relate to God's people by speaking to them in their time, um, which means that there were certain things that were happening. For example, for the Israelites in the book of Leviticus, that they perceived that the morality laws where God was trying to speak to them about this is a new nation starting up, uh, that they had some laws that we don't have today. Some of those laws are things that we don't do. Uh, their laws were like, you can't mix fabrics. Um, a man cannot trim his beard and also can't grow his hair length out. Those are all Leviticus morality laws. Um, but again, the Calvin's doctrine of accommodation means that God was speaking to us, particular people at a particular place. Um, and so if you continue, for Calvin, if we are related to God, then God must accommodate God's self to us. Our space-bound and time-bound condition, such divine accommodation is fundamental to Calvin's idea of revelation, to the way in which God discloses his God purposes in different eras and deals with God's people individually. So in summation, what this means is there are certain things found in the Bible that were written specifically for the people of biblical times, and there are other things found in the Bible that were written for people of all times and all places. Those love passages that I just went through are what Calvin was talking about, that that is a timeless and spaceless message of the Bible that should be reiterated over and over and over, that it will always be true. It was God always speaking to us, is that we are to love God and love people. Um, but some of the morality laws were only for that particular people at that time. So again, that's the theology that I quickly skipped over. <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions? Very good. Christina. Um, what's our church doing right now to let the LGBTQ community know that we're like welcome? Like, how do we get that out there since there are so many other communities that aren't? I wonder if Lois Hensler wants to answer that. <laughs> I was part of the mission study team, and one of the things we did was come up with core values. Our core value, our first core value specifically says. So right there, and that is so important, again, why, why, so again, Lois is part of the mission study team. Her answer to Christina's question is, what are we doing now to show that we are an affirming church? We put it as one of our core values. Now you might question, why is it important that we put it as one of our core values? Because it goes back to the perception at the beginning of this, where most people believe that the Christian church is still not affirming to the LGBTQ plus community. To actually have it as one of our core values, it's one of the very first things that people will read is that we fully affirm the LGBTQ plus community, as well as women in leadership, um, is that people will know right away that is who we are. Um, the other thing is, um, and Pastor Carter helped me uh, really lift this up, is are we affirming as a congregation? The answer is yes, uh, in many ways. One is you called me, uh, and that is a congregational vote. That is not a session vote. Is that everybody had a voice and a vote when you called me an openly gay man to serve as one of your pastors. That right there is a sign. You've also uh, called, ordained um, several elders and deacons who are also part of the LGBTQ community. That is also a full congregational vote every single time. So again, these are small but mighty acts to show that we are an affirming church. I wouldn't, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't think we're arrived at the fully affirming status, but again, we aspire to be. Um, and so it's just small things that we continue to learn along the way 
One of them is coming to a class like this to learn how we can be more affirming to the LGBTQ plus community. Lois. Can I just add to that that, you know, as we looked at our history, there are lots of places where we took a stand on something that was kind of countercultural at the time. And I have to admit, we didn't always do it, right? We weren't great at the beginning. We knew it was the right thing to do, and yet we were, we were imperfect people striving to live God's love the way of Jesus Christ. And so I think we're, we're continuing to say that, you know, that we... This is who we are and what we affirm. Do we always do it great? Are we never? Do we, we never make a mistake? No, but it means that that's what we're trying, and that's where we're, we're what we want to do. And again, grace abounds. I am so so sorry, but I do have to run. <laughs> <laughs>